In today's episode, we continue our conversation on Islamic financing. We look at its penetration in Africa, the countries leading the charge, and even the role Africa's demographics will play in expanding Islamic financing on the continent. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ruth Adong. For more, follow us on Twitter at The K Financial, and you can find me at Ruth Adong. Islamic finance is currently present in more than 21 African countries and more than 50 Islamic finance institutions across Africa exist. And even with just that, B20's Infrastructure and Financing Growth Task Force Policy Paper of 2017 considers Islamic finance to be one of the key tools that will help boost sustainable economic development in Africa. In this episode, Faisal Bana, Director, Middle East, Africa and India at Jersey Finance, returns to shed light on penetration and the untapped potential of Islamic finance. Now, the pandemic has dealt many countries with financing challenges. Are we seeing more African countries opening their doors to the concept of Islamic financing? Africa is home to approximately 250 Muslims. Uh, um, African jurisdictions, you know, 20 plus African countries now provide uh, Sharia compliant financing in one form or the other. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, um, you're, you're seeing uh, with the increased use of technology, um, the promise of this uh, only growing. So when a Sharia, uh, when Sharia financing uh, comes into a market, usually the entry point is Islamic banking. And um, it is the desire of the authorities within a within a, a jurisdiction to provide uh, or to bring into the financial uh, um, sector or financial sphere all these unbanked uh, population, and by providing them with a way uh, that meets their beliefs, a way of banking that meets their beliefs, you you find that governments um, are now. Given the challenges, uh, again, that I mentioned uh, from a COVID perspective, governments are providing uh, this, um, you know, this uh, enabling uh, environment for banks to, uh, you know, for, for, uh, no, for, their, for Islamic finance service providers and um, uh, uh, products and services to be uh, provided within their jurisdiction. When we talk penetration, South Africa seems to be ahead of the curve of its peers. What sets them apart? South Africa would be the market that is probably the most mature on the continent when it comes to general finance, but also probably from a Sharia finance perspective, even though the population is much smaller uh, when you compare it to other regions. You know, only 1.73 million of South African population is Muslim, but they have, um, uh, you know, a lot of, they have made a lot of inroads into Islamic finance. So, I would say from an African perspective, they consider themselves to be a hub for Sharia-compliant financing. Uh, their deposits from a banking perspective, $2.5 billion, um, uh, you know, and, and advances made or, or loans um, made in that sector, $1.1 billion, huge numbers. In two, uh, two, uh, so, so, you know, they, they, I said that they have um, they've issued one sovereign sukuk which was four times oversubscribed uh, of 500 million in 2014. Um, and then, uh, you know, they have listed funds, 25 listed funds, um, and, and a very uh, buoyant uh, takaful uh, industry as well. Does Nigeria's population factor into the fast growth of Islamic financing in the country? Nigeria, the most populous country on the planet, um, um, even though IF uh, is in the infancy there, 
you know, you still find that the largest top 10 largest, one of the top 10 largest uh, IF banks globally is based in Nigeria. They have two fully fledged IF banks uh, with a total assets um, of, you know, of, of almost one trillion dollars um, uh, uh, in Nigeria. Uh, Takaful is developing there. Um, market share still is in infancy, two percent. But you know, it's again through fintech and innovation, you only see that developing. Let's talk Kenya and its uptake of Islamic financing. You know, in the three key economies uh, in Africa, um, you know, you have in Kenya fully fledged banks. You have three fully fledged banks, and you also have the insurance and reinsurance providers. Um, that are uh, that that uh, um, are, are providing their services. You have Islamic pension funds. You have um, uh, so you know Kenya is regarded as a fintech hub um, uh, for the continent, as you know, and their um, uh, uh, developments in the fintech uh, uh, um, sector as well in terms of penetration into that market. What role do demographics and the corporate sector growth have in the growth of Islamic financing in Africa? In terms of Africa. The demographics support the development of this industry there. There is still a huge unbanked, generally unbanked population, but specifically unbanked Muslim population. And you find that with the increased alignment between Sharia compliant financing and ESG, uh, Sharia, uh, IF moves into the mainstream. So even non-Muslims find the attraction of some of the principles that I've already discussed um, in IF um, for them to actually move into that finance. So the, so the potential is there, and the use of technology um, allows, you know, mobile money, as you know, is a big success on the continent anyway, in places like Kenya, um, and Nigeria, South Africa, Egypt. So these, the, the, you know, this market can only develop, and the demographics are there to support it. Sovereign Sukuks, we've touched on that. Again, Sukuk will be... Uh, form of alternative finance the, that governments across the continent will use to fund some of their deficits. And we're going to, we, we can only see this moving towards the corporate sector because corporates themselves want to expand. The African, Africa free continental trade area provides them with the opportunity to grow uh, and become pan-African businesses. Even from East Africa, um, you know, uh, the big players in Kenya, Uganda, um, Rwanda, you know, all of these would want, you know, family businesses and corporates would want to take advantage of this new continental trading area. Uh, so, you know, they will look at alternative forms of financing and corporate sukuk is one of those areas where it would be easy for corporates to issue these sukuk uh, because the returns are good on, on, on these sukuk. So, you know, there's the potential is there. The potential to grow is huge. But, you know, it's 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 up to governments to provide that enabling environment and regulatory framework for this to flourish. And a quick review of the other stories making it into the podcast. The world economy will likely grow by 4.4% this year compared to a 4.9% expansion previously estimated and by 3.2%. 8% 8% in 2023, according to the IMF's latest update of the World Economic Outlook. The downward revision for the 2022 reflected uncertainty about the pandemic due to the rapid spread of Omicron variant, inflation, supply disruptions, and monetary policy tightening by major central banks. The U.S. is seen growing by 4% in 2022, downward by 1.2 percentage points from early estimates given the failure 
of President Joe Biden to pass a massive social and climate spending package. Meanwhile, China's economic growth forecast was lowered by 0.8 percentage points to 4.8%, and the Eurozone's GDP projection was cut by 0.4% points to 3.9%. Elsewhere, India and Japan saw the forecast upgraded somewhat. The IMF has also revised its 2022 inflation forecast, saying price pressures were likely to persist longer than previously expected. In Morocco, food inflation prices have reached the highest level since April 2018. Headline inflation rose to 3.2% year-on-year in December 2021, after accelerating to 2.6% year-on-year in the previous month. An uptick in the pace of inflation reflects a 1.6% points surge in annual food price inflation to 4.5% year-on-year in December, while non-food price inflation remains stable at 2.4% year-on-year. Annual food price inflation reached its highest level since April 2018, driven largely by month-on-month price increases for vegetables, oils and fats, breads and cereals, as well as coffee, tea and cocoa. Although global food prices have started to ease, demonstrated by a 0.9% month-on-month drop in the Food and Agriculture Organization's food price index to 133.7 points in December, they are still up by 23.1% year-on-year in that month. Elevated food prices coupled with second-round effects of depreciation of the Moroccan dirham against the Greenberg likely contributed towards a surge in import inflation, especially Morocco's heavy reliance on food imports. Uganda recorded a surplus in government finances for December. According to the preliminary data published in the latest monthly performance of the economic report from the Ministry of Finance, Planning and Economic Development, the fiscal balance for December 2021 stands at a surplus. The ministry reports that the government balance recorded a surplus of 100 and 47.1 billion Uganda shillings, the first and only surplus reported for the whole of 2021. Having said that, the surplus came in lower than anticipated, with the expected surplus standing at 464.07 billion. The reason for the discrepancy is a combination of total revenues falling short of its target alongside of a spending during the month. Total revenue and grants amounted to 2.64 trillion Uganda shillings for the month of 2021, while the target was set at 2.86 trillion. This shortfall was driven by all major tax revenue streams reporting dreary performances as the pandemic continued to have adverse effects on the economy, while delays in the implementation of planned tax measures also contributed to the shortfall. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. And if you have suggestions or you want to check out more stories, visit our website. That is thekfinancial.com. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at The K Financial. And you can find me at The Fidelity.